I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 10 through 13, Solomon writes, Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choicest gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. You know, our lives can become totally consumed by possession of things. You may have seen the old bumper sticker that said, He who dies with the most toys wins. And while I can definitely see the humor in such a statement, the sentiment which underlies this statement is the same sentiment which supports the idea of keeping up with the Joneses. And don't think for a second that that's not a real ideology that's promoted and embraced through and through in our culture. I spent a few years working in a bank and will never forget the day that I walked into my work and passed a huge banner that they had strung out across the lobby which said, don't just keep up with the Joneses, pass them up. And the idea was that you could get a second mortgage on your house and thereby put yourself even deeper into debt as a way of living larger than your neighbors. Now, imagine how many people spend their entire lives in pursuit of accumulating things. Solomon tells us what wisdom would say to such a mentality. He tells us that we should value wisdom's instruction more than silver and wisdom's knowledge more than the purest, finest gold. The poor person can become consumed with the things that they don't have just as easily as the rich person can become just as consumed with things that they do have. But our Lord Jesus told us, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. That's from Luke chapter 12, verse 15. This warning applies to the poor person and to the wealthy person alike. We might take this to be telling us that no matter how much much you love what things you have, your life doesn't consist of those things. If anything, they can weigh our thoughts down and cause us to become preoccupied with material things that we can't bring with us beyond our earthly lives anyway. When we look at the wisdom of the Lord, we find that it's worth more than all of the gold, silver, and jewels of the earth combined. And as we look closer at this wisdom of the Lord, we see that it comes in a package deal. While infomercials will try to throw in cheap incentives at the end of the commercial and attempt to close the sale with you, we find that wisdom of the Lord comes with its own set of incentives. If the wisdom of the Lord were being sold on an infomercial, we might close it out by saying, but wait, there's more. Act now and we'll throw in the prudence, knowledge, and discretion of the Lord as well. Wisdom comes as a package deal with all three of these things. The person who pursues the wisdom of the Lord will find that such wisdom is incompatible with certain things, however. You cannot mix the wisdom of the Lord with evil. Solomon prefaced this whole collection of wisdom found in Proverbs with a statement that we should be mindful of. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Once you embrace this wisdom, you begin to hate many of the things that you love. The accumulation of things and toys can cause one to become prideful of the fact that they possess those things, but the wisdom of the Lord says, I hate pride. The person who possesses things that most other people could never possibly afford might become arrogant because they've based their self-worth in the value of their things. But the wisdom of the Lord says, I hate arrogance. The heart that's filled with pride and arrogance chooses to go their own way rather than the way of the wisdom of the Lord. Any other way than the way of the wisdom of the Lord is perverse. It's crooked. And thus, the heart that isn't filled with the wisdom of the Lord is perverse. And the result 
is that the same perversity flows from their mouth. The wisdom of the Lord says, I hate the perverse mouth. We love what we love because of what something is worth to us. If we truly see how worthy the wisdom of the Lord is, we'll value it above all things and all toys. This concludes Lesson 1. Lesson 2. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, Solomon writes, Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. If there's one thing that can cause a beloved national leader to become as despised as yesterday's garbage, it's corruption. Many politicians and leaders begin their careers by being voted into their position, promising to deliver justice and fairness for all. But there's a saying that if power corrupts, then absolute power corrupts absolutely. The true test for every leader is to remain true to the promises that they made prior to their election by the people. In our passage today, Solomon continues to personify wisdom, contrasting her voice with the voice of the adulterous woman in the previous chapter. We should note that while the personified character of wisdom says that she has sound wisdom here, it's not the same Hebrew word that gets used for the character of wisdom from chapter 8, verse 1. Rather, when wisdom says that she has sound wisdom, the sound wisdom that wisdom claims to have actually refers to judgment. The NIV reflects this difference, rendering our first verse here as saying, counsel and sound judgment are mine. In other words, there's no sound judgment that exists apart from wisdom. Wisdom possesses both counsel and sound judgment. Someone who rejects the wisdom of the Lord can only make sound judgment accidentally. With that in mind, it's extremely important that the people that we, as followers of Christ, vote into office are truly followers of Christ as well. We want fairness and justice, and the wisdom of the Lord tells us, by me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. What we see here is that it doesn't matter what level of government a person is. Every level relies on the wisdom of the Lord for justice and right judgment. In Solomon's day, the land was ruled by kings, and thus Solomon tells us that they rely on the wisdom of the Lord to reign in righteousness. Under the kings or princes, who Solomon tells us again, rely on the wisdom of the Lord to rule justly. Under the princes, we find a very general category, referred to as nobles. These are people who would probably never become king but who have been appointed to preside more directly over the people. Solomon tells us that they too must rely on the wisdom of the Lord if they want to judge rightly. One might be troubled when they read that wisdom loves those who love her, but we should view this as a figure of speech. Jesus, who is our wisdom from God, doesn't love one group of people more than another because God is love. But God is also infinite in his nature, and there are no degrees or percentages when it comes to infinity. And so thus, when God loves, he loves infinitely because he is infinite love. When the wisdom of the Lord tells us that she loves those who love her, What that means is that those who love her will receive her love. The love expressed by God toward everyone is infinite. The love received is determined by the person's willingness to receive that love. Does this paint a picture of irresistible grace or unconditional election? Absolutely not. Rather, what we see here is that it reveals God's offer of love and mercy to everyone. Well, what about total depravity? Is humanity so deeply depraved that we can't seek God at all? Again, Not at all. Rather, wisdom says those who diligently seek me will find me. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 puts it this way, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Jesus' love, mercy, and wisdom are offered to everyone. The question is whether or not they're willing to receive him. The wisdom of the Lord is available to everyone, from kings to the common man. This concludes Lesson 2. Lesson 3. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 18 to 21, Solomon writes, Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield even better than the choicest silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of justice, to endow those who love me with wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. You know, this is one of those passages that is really easily misunderstood and has thus been used to support what we might refer to as prosperity theology. And that is the idea that God wants you not only to be financially wealthy, but financially wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. Prosperity teachers are quick to use passages like this one, but seem to somehow just skip over those passages which make it obvious that this ideology is clearly false and clearly identifying this false theology as demonic. Oh, if only God was a slot machine, right? Right? where we could just send our money to support ministries with the expectation that the money that we give to support kingdom work would come back to us a hundredfold. Friends, God is not manipulated like that. So does this passage really support prosperity theology? Let's take a closer look at it. Solomon is personifying wisdom for us, and she tells us that riches and honor are with her, enduring wealth and righteousness. Now, does this refer to a material or financial wealth? By no means. So how do we know that's not what it means? Well, we know because the next verse tells us that the fruit of wisdom is even better than the purest, most unblemished, most unadulterated gold. Just to add good measure, wisdom also tells us that her yield is better than the best silver. So clearly, gold and silver represent something here, right? Namely, they represent material wealth. Wisdom is thus clearly telling us that she wants to bless us with a fruit and with a yield that's even better than material wealth. Material wealth can be a huge stumbling block for people, which is why Jesus actually took so much time to warn people about the dangers of their riches. Our hearts were designed to feel this need that only God can adequately fill, but that doesn't stop people from trying to meet that need in other ways. We were made to worship something but we can choose what that something is. For the rich man who came to Jesus, it was his things, his toys. He loved all of his things. And so thus, when the man asked Jesus, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? A very interesting conversation ensues. Jesus responds by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, was Jesus saying that he wasn't good here? Not at all. No, he wants the man to consider the implications of what he had just called Jesus, because Jesus knew that the man didn't recognize Jesus for who he was, God incarnate, God in human flesh. There was only silence from the man at this point. So Jesus continues saying, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and father. Now, time out for a second here. Those aren't all the commandments, are they? Jesus failed to mention the commandments pertaining to God. Now, a person who had truly tried to keep the commandments would have pointed out Jesus' omission here. Instead, 
the man pridefully responded by saying, Teacher, I have kept all these things since my youth. Now, don't overlook the fact that the man didn't refer to Jesus as good this time. He had clearly missed what Jesus was saying. But the passage tells us that Jesus then looked at the man and loved him. And remember to read that in light of our discussion on the previous passage. Go back and go over it again if you have to. So Jesus responds by saying, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. The offer, in other words, was to trade the temporary for the eternal. And the offer was rejected. You see, here was a man who never wanted to part ways with his earthly treasure because he loved it more than anything else, including God. When he asked how he could have eternal life, what he really meant was that he wanted to live forever so that he could be with his things. The riches that God wants to bless you with are immaterial and aren't reflected in your bank statements because those immaterial riches are worth much more than money. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what you value will be reflected in how you act. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't have earthly treasure. It just means that God doesn't guarantee that you'll have it and that if you do have it, you should be careful not to let it become an obstacle between you and God. If you love and treasure material riches, there will come a day when you don't have a choice but to part ways with it. But if you love and treasure the Lord Jesus, you have an eternal and never-ending source of joy and riches. For the wise person, this is an easy decision. This concludes Lesson 3. Lesson 4. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, Solomon says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. We've seen two very important things in our study that we need to preface this lesson with. First of all, we know that Solomon has been personifying wisdom and thereby giving her a voice. And secondly, we've established that Jesus is our wisdom from God. There's a false teaching called Arianism, a heresy that was refuted in the very early church which taught that Jesus was a created being. Today, the same heresy actually exists and it's taught by the Jehovah's Witness cult, among some other groups. Solomon's words take us back before time began to exist. We have to remember that before anything was created, nothing existed, except the Creator. Where nothing exists, nothing changes. Where nothing changes, there's no time, because time is the measurement of change. For that reason, any introductory class to physics will teach you that time and space are inseparably linked. They're inseparably connected. And so therefore, prior to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, there was no time. There was only eternity. And this is where our feet land, so to speak, in this passage, before the very first verse of the whole Bible. Solomon starts off by saying that the Lord possessed wisdom at the beginning of his way. Now, you might be thinking, but God didn't have a beginning. Exactly. This is a figure of speech, though, and it has to be interpreted that way. It might make more sense as we get to verse 23 here, where Solomon says that wisdom was established from everlasting. Now, if Jesus is wisdom and wisdom was established, doesn't this mean that Jesus had a beginning? No, because something that's eternal, which wisdom is, doesn't have a beginning. Yet God is the only thing or being that has no beginning. And so thus we find that this is actually a very clear affirmation of the deity of Christ. Solomon then progresses forward in time, telling us that wisdom has existed from the beginning. And this should actually ring a bell for those of us who have read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right? Which starts with, in the beginning. 
See, Jesus was wisdom from God because wisdom is an attribute of God. It's not just something that he has, it's something that he is. Because God is simple, that is, not composed of parts, God's nature is identical to his essence. In other words, what God has is what God is. God has love because God is love. God has righteousness because God is righteousness. God has wisdom because God is wisdom. Because God has no beginning, wisdom has no beginning. Because wisdom has no beginning, wisdom will also have no end. To think otherwise is as logically nonsensical as trying to think of a one-ended stick. The call here is for one of respect and worship for the Lord who has and is pure wisdom. For the wise person, it's a call to prepare now for eternity. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your weekly fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Jesus.